So today is the final part in the series of the laws of Sukkah, and we've discussed um, first in the first class or the first class and a half we discussed um, the obligation to eat in the Sukkah on the first night, how much you have to eat, when it's raining, when it's not raining, etc. And then last week we discussed which types of food have to be eaten in the sukkah, which quantities of food have to be eaten in the sukkah. And the primary topic that's left to discuss um, is teal. The truth is, it's another whole topic, which we're not going to get into now, is sleeping in the sukkah. But um, we learned in the Gemara that there is the mitzvah of sukkah, um, between the various prices in the Gemara, we could come up with five categories that are mentioned as activities which must be done in the sukkah. Eating, drinking, Learning Torah, which we said, um, we made a distinction whether you need, you, when you're learning something in the Iyod in depth and you need extra concentration, so then you could leave the sukkah if you're more uh, pro- able to concentrate, more comfortable outside the sukkah, versus if you're just reading something more um, quickly. So, for example, on Hisham Rabbah, it's the custom to say the entire Mishnah Torah, the entire book of Deuteronomy, not in depth. If you go to shul to do it, so you're doing it in shul. But if you're not going to shul, then you ought to do that in your sukkah. That's learning Torah. That has to be done in the sukkah. It's explicit in the Gemara. Um, then the final two are sleeping and teal. And we need to figure out what this word teal means. What's the word? Teal. Letayel. Letayel. Letayel? Yeah, te- exactly. <laughs> so normally, um, in modern Hebrew certainly, and even in Mishnahic and Talmudic Hebrew, the word teal means to take a stroll, to go for a walk. Um, so, you have to go for a walk in your sukkah, um, which is um, a strange concept to... Uh, Especially when it's three feet high and you're a foot deep. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. That, that, that's precisely where I was going with this. But just to, sh- to further sharpen what Bob just said. So we know that the minimum requirement for a sukkah is that it has to be, it has to be um, 10 tfachim high, which is about 30 inches high. Um, so it's two and a half feet, really. And, and um, also the minimum dimensions in the, lex- in, in the width are 7 tfachim, which is... Um, uh, how much is seven tefachim in inches? It's 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 gonna be forty about fifty six centimeters. Yeah, just just oh yeah, about less than two feet. Less less than two feet. Uh, no, that's an amma. A tefach is a handbreadth. So seven tefachim is seven handbreadths. An amma is six handbreadths. So an amma is a foot and a half. So it's just over a foot and a half, right? So that's the smallest size for a sukkah. Now, obviously, in the si- sukkah that size, you can't you can't even sit up. Um, if it's only, you can, I'm sorry, you can't even stand up. You can only sit up or lie. Now, that in and of itself doesn't prove to us that teal doesn't mean to stroll, because you could say that that's the sukkah that you sleep in, or that's the sukkah that you eat in. But that if you want to take a stroll, you have to take it in your sukkah. So. In order to further demonstrate that teal obviously doesn't mean, um, mean a wa- to walk, take a walk, um, there is another concept which has numerous halachic ramifications. And that is that, again, we have four act- um, categories of activity. Really, there's five, because there's one of learning Torah, but perhaps the learning Torah comes together with teal, as we'll see soon. But in, in halacha, it says there's four categories. Eating... Um, Eating and drinking, if we count that as one or two, we'll get to that hopefully for some few minutes at the end of the class. Eating, drinking, sleeping, and teal. Again, we're trying to figure out what teal means. Um, now, the Alter Rebbe Paschans, um, and this is based on the, uh, the Ramah, that in order for a sukkah to be kosher for either one of those activities, it has to be valid, it has to be usable for all of them. So, um, for example, if you make uh, one one example, which is brought in Shulchan Aruch, is if you have a sukkah um, that is not that is built in a place or in a way that it's not safe to sleep. Let's say it's in a place where there are um, 
band robbers or you know it's, it's not a safe neighborhood right so because that so you wouldn't be able to sleep in that sukkah so the halacha is that you're not even allowed to eat in that sukkah um, similarly if it's in a place that's too cold well, if you can't sleep in at night it means you can't eat in there even during the day exactly exactly wow. exactly has to be so. Oh. Um, one of the pro, one of the issues which um, eating in the restaurants face, which again I don't know what they actually do in practice, but one of the issues that they should be taking into account is that if you're building a sukkah in a strip mall, uh, well, it depends where you are. But you know what? This is also relevant for um, for for everyone building a sukkah in your backyard. Um, if you build a sukkah with three walls. So that's a kosher sukkah, but possibly, and again, I don't want to say anything definitive over here, but at least theoretically you could argue that in Chicago that would not be a kosher sukkah because you couldn't sleep outside in the open. There's skunks running around. Um, Again, maybe you could, but at least you could hear an argument that um, a normal person would not feel safe sleeping at night outside if he doesn't have four walls surrounding him. And if that's the case then your three-walled sukkah in your backyard in Chicago um, may not be kosher even for eating in it during the day. So that is another reason why, and again, I don't want to sort of uh, get into, you know, in, in, in London you have foxes, and here, you know, every, every place has that thing, but certainly that is another reason why um, pious Jews d- uh, try their best to have a sukkah of four solid walls, um, because the more... First of all, in general, the more comfortable you could make the sukkah, the better. It's a it's a hid or mitzvah to make the sukkah as comfortable as possible, so that you'll be uh, end up spending more time there, etc. But um, but um, I- I- if it's in a place where um, it's not going to be safe to sleep over there, then it's not kosher even for other activities of eating and drinking. And um, another one which gets very difficult to sort of <coughs> cross all the T's and dot all the I's is if it's in a place where it's too cold to sleep or too windy if you build your sukkah which had with um, you know this year everybody was into the open air having a lot of breeze in the sukkah if you build your sukkah in a place in, 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 uh, where it's going to be too cold to sleep because at night, at night the temperature drops then it's not kosher even now there you have another solution because as long as it's not going to be 70 you know super freezing um, at night it's okay for you to say this is comfortable for me to sleep in as long as I br- bring in my my blankets. That's fine. And this is very relevant. People don't think about this because many people, including the Chabad custom, is that we don't sleep in the sukkah. Right. Why we don't sleep in the sukkah is a separate discussion. But that doesn't affect this halacha that your sukkah has to be suitable for you to sleep in it. Um, so people in Northern Europe are dead for centuries. Uh, Never so, slept or, you know, so, so that's an excellent question. What about people who lived in climates yeah. where it was freezing and dangerous and yeah. the Jews who had mysterious nefesh under the nose of the KGB or under the nose of the Nazis? I mean, the first circus I came here in 1982, we had snow coming through the schach the first night. Right. So, okay, so it's snow coming through the schach on the first night, no, so you take an extra blanket and... I don't know if that would say that makes the sukkah not possible to sleep in. You take an extra sleeping bag. If you're hardy, you can sleep in anything outdoors. Okay, so that... uh, Right, so it's... uh, I agree. I agree that it is sometimes difficult to say a definitive, yes, this is uh, suitable to sleep in, that is not. But certainly, um, you know, we had last Matzah Shabbos, Izzy Stark, telling this story of how they went... um, uh, they crawled somewhere to the end of the barracks, and he had some sort of makeshift sukkah. There's no way they could have slept there. It would have cost them their lives. Yeah, um, and uh, even uh, you know, under the nose of the Nazis and under the Machshamam and the KGB, and uh, and 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 in the in the weather. So what are we to? So all of those people never fulfilled the mitzvah of sukkah. So that's an excellent, excellent question, which is be, uh, the truth is to address it properly is beyond the scope. But I would just point out that. That does give precedent to the fact that <laughs> that even though they may not have been obligated in the mitzvah of sukkah because they're in a freezing, freezing cold climate, so it's not like when you, you know you have to do whatever you can within reason to make your sukkah comfortable. 
So if you live in Chicago, and let's say you accept the argument that a three-walled sukkah is not, is not kosher, where there's skunks around. So if you accept that argument, so then the takeaway is, make sure to build a sukkah of four walls. So you can't say, I'm exempt from the sukkah because I only have a sukkah of three walls. It's your responsibility to erect a sukkah with four walls. But if you live in Siberia, you can't say it's your responsibility to um, move to Florida for sukkahs. So at best, what you're saying is that under the nose of the KGB, or or under, sorry? With cold, I believe. Uh, let, 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 me fin- let me finish the thought. Specifically yeah. cold. I'm just saying cold climates. Specifically, there's a stira in the Ramah. Everyone does not go to the Ramah that says that cold climates would make any difference. The Alter Rebbe does. No. He says, there's many that mention that Magna Ram as well. That there's a stira in the Ramah that it doesn't mean specifically cold. The Alter specifically mentions cold. As a... As a, as a yes. He says, he says winds, not cold. Curry, ah, okay, fine. I don't. Uh, well, specifically, no one accepts that that would be a reason of. Uh, I, I'm fairly certain that that's inaccurate, but I, I would like to not get sidetracked by that because, because if it's not the cold, then it's uh, there's other there's, there's certainly many other circumstances, like I said, under the nose of the. Question, under the, the under the nose of the KGB, sorry. Yeah, there's many environments where where they wrote this environment that was freezing. Okay, I, again, much, much ink has been spilled on this, and I'm, I, like I said, I just want to briefly bring out one point. Again, if it's not the cold, it's the KGB. There's plenty of other circumstances where that was the case. And what I'm suggesting is that this gives precedent to the fact that even though the, you're not obligated in the midst of sukkah at all, because you can't, you're not in a position where you, that you have the ability to build such a sukkah that's suitable to sleep in, nevertheless, as we know from generations, Jews did in fact eat in the sukkah as much as they can and make a bracha on the sukkah, etc. So that gives precedent, perhaps, to the Hasidic custom that we eat in the sukkah even when it's raining, and even we say a bracha, our leisure sukkah, even when it's raining, as the precedent for this custom that we could eat in the sukkah even though there's, strictly speaking, no obligation. Anyway, bottom line is, Michael, that's a very important question, and um, to address it properly is certainly beyond the scope of what we have time for today. Um, Okay, so, so, so back to where we're at now. The alt- so the alt- uh, other Paschim question this, but in the Alter Rebbe it's explicit that in order for the sukkah to be kosher for either one of those four activities, it has to be valid, possible to use for any one of them. So if you have a sukkah that's not valid to be metayel in, again, we're trying to figure out what that word means, but if you have a sukkah that's not valid to be metayel in, then it's not kosher to eat or, or drink or sleep in. Having said that, and coming back to Bob's point, um, if a sukkah is kosher when it's only ten tefachim tall, three feet tall, and two t- less than two feet wide and long, certainly t- a teal can't possibly mean to take a walk, because you can't take a walk in such a sukkah, and, that, and the fact that you can't take a walk in it would ipso facto, invalidate the sukkah. So we must say that teol actually doesn't mean to take a walk. It must mean something else. So what does teol actually mean? Um, everybody follow the reasoning I'm explaining why we, uh, how we, uh, we can't suggest that teol means walking. So teol, teol and I, this is how I've been translating it the last few weeks without explaining the background for this explanation. Um, the best translation in English would be to spend time. In modern Hebrew, there's a word, levalot. To dwell, like just to... Right, just to be, levalot. Uh-huh. Right, levalot. Levalot? Levalot means to spend time. Yeah? yeah. Right? Um, but uh, going to relax, to spend time. Bilui. exactly. Um, so... And the root of it, if you want to get into the, into the etymology, is it's, it's, it's the same root as the word tail. It can be changed into the word sail, which means shade, or sort of to be in the shade of the sukkah, right? To just be spending time there, relaxing there. Okay, so having established what the definition of the word is, um, so now we know that there is an obligation to spend time in the sukkah, which ipso facto would mean that barring compelling circumstances, it should be forbidden to spend time outside the sukkah, right? So if you want to, and this is, uh, 
this is the way the halacha um, spells it out, and um, I'll read it to you. Yeah. How is the mitzvah of sitting and dwelling in the sukkah? You have to eat and drink, um, sleep, and v'yitayal, spend time, v'dar, and dwell in the sukkah for the entire seven days, both a day and a night, just like you do in your house. If you want to talk to your friend, right, if you want to make a phone call, where are you supposed to go to make your phone call? You go to the sukkah to make your phone call, right? Um, there's another aspect of this, which is in, in Chicago and in America, perhaps, but certainly in Chicago, it's, un- it's rare to see people doing. And that is, we saw this in the Gemara, that you have to take your nice furniture into the sukkah. Take your dining room table and chairs, your couch. Now, the reason I, I, I assume that the reason why people don't do that over here is because most people do not have a schlack, do not have a roof on the sukkah, and we live in a, in a wet climate, so any furniture that you take out to the sukkah would get ruined. So, obviously, you don't want to ruin all your... Fur- like, you're not obligated to... It's Baltashkas. You don't want to just take your couch out to get it ruined and have to buy a new couch every year. But in other climates, and certainly in Israel, it is common for people to take a couch and a comfortable, you know, recliner or things like that into the sukkah so that they... Um, and again, it's explicit in Gemara and in Shulchan Aruch that you take your nice, um, comfortable furniture into the sukkah. So... So spending time in the sukkah's mitzvah. Now, we know there's a principle of when you, whenever you do a mitzvah, you have to make a bracha, first of all. And when, when do you make the bracha? Before you do the mitzvah. So before you put on tefillin, you say, Before you bench lulav, you say, Etc., etc. Right? Um... Even even Shabbos candles, at least arguably, should be made, should be first you say the bracha and then you light the Shabbos candles. Practically speaking, the custom of women is to do it the other way around. But when men light Shabbos candles, they should first say the bracha and then light the candles. Um, uh, we've discussed that in a previous class. Um, so when do you make the bracha of Leishe Basukah? Now what, what, what does the word Leishe Basukah mean? Leishe Basukah doesn't mean to sit in the sukkah. It's not about sitting or standing. Leishiva sukkah means to dwell in the sukkah. Right? That, root yeshi- that root word in Hebrew, yeshiva, can mean um, to, um, to sit versus standing. It could also mean to dwell. Um, so we're back to uh, Lutayet? Uh, well, kind of, but it's more generic. Leishiv to dwell includes Lutayel, but it also includes sleeping and eating. Those are all activities that you do as part of dwelling. Mm-hmm. When you dwell in your house year-round, what do you do there? You eat, you sleep, you spend time. And the Torah right? also says, Right, yes, yes. But we have in Chumash, we have but just... You, but, but you're supposed to sit down when you say the bracha, right? No. When you say basuka, you don't, you don't supposed to, you're not supposed to sit right you do, After you the, bra- the bracha, and then you sit. Right. One second. Okay. Very good. So, but but if it's dwelling, you could be standing there dwelling. Okay. So why not say the bracha before you step into? So the Rambam. Oh, very good. Exactly. Exactly. So the Rambam says. Thank you. <laughs> the Rambam says that um, when do you say the bracha of of Leisha before you step into the sukkah? Right. Um, every time he says. Um, The Rambam allows. He says that you, when you make kiddush the first night, he says you say the you, you say the leisha basuka. You should say the kiddush standing up, and you say the leisha basuka then um, before you sit down to eat. Um, but uh, that's connected to if you to saying the le- con- combining the leisha basuka with the with the kiddush. But that's just on, on the night of yantif. But generally throughout the week of sukkahs, according to the Rambam, before you step into the sukkah, you say. And then you step into the sukkah. Before you do the mitzvah, you step in, you, you, you say the bracha. What happens if you didn't say it before you stepped in? So... I never heard anybody do that. Well, we'll see soon why. 
Um, yeah. I, I think it's possible. Right? Yeah, no, I don't, it's not. Uh, the Ashkenazim certainly don't do like the Rambam. I'm not even sure if Sfardim do like the Rambam, but that's the opinion of the Rambam, and logically, that's what seems to make the most sense. We'll see soon why we don't. But um, I just want to point out that with every mitzvah, you have to make the bracha before you do the mitzvah. What if you didn't make the bracha before you do the mitzvah? So as long as you're still in the middle of doing the mitzvah, you can still make the bracha. If you finished doing the mitzvah, let's say a person put on tefillin without saying a bracha for whatever reason, then he finished davening, he took them off, and then somehow he remembered that he didn't make a bracha. It's too late. You finished doing the mitzvah, you've taken off the tefillin, it's too late. Similarly with tzitzis, you finished, you finished, you took off your talis, and now you're like, oh, I didn't make it. it's too late, you've done the mitzvah already. But if you're still in the middle of doing the mitzvah, if you're still wearing your talis, if you're still wearing tefillin, um, let's say another exa- example is lulav. If you already shook lulav, but you didn't finish doing all the shakings because you haven't yet said halal, for example. So because you still have a portion of the mitzvah in front of you, you can still make the bracha. So according to the Rambam, um, I, ideally you would say the bracha before you step foot into the sukkah. But if you, if you didn't do so, um, so long as you're still sitting in the sukkah, you could still make the bracha. Hold on. Um, now, the Rambam says, just to clarify, uh, perhaps I, I was a little bit misleading, and I don't have the Rambam in front of me right now to check this up, but the Rambam, that means certainly, and this may actually be the minig of the Sephardim, to say the bracha before you sit down, meaning even if you don't say the bracha before you step foot into the sukkah, because stepping foot into the sukkah is still just a temporary thing. You could just be standing up, right? In order to make it a, like you're dwelling in the sukkah, it's like when you sit down, now you're doing something now, right? So the Ramam says you have to say the bracha before you sit down. That's certainly not our custom. We'll see soon. Our custom is to say the bracha before you eat certain foods, right? But according to the Rambam, before you sit down into the sukkah, that means before you've made your sukkah, I mean, ideally, according, in theory, at least, according to the Rambam, you would say it before you step foot into the sukkah. But even if you've already stepped foot into the sukkah, the way the Rambam actually describes doing it, like the example I gave of Kiddush, was that you say it before you sit down. Because sitting down is the act that you do that's showing, okay, I'm here now. Right? However, I'm just reading this from the Rosh, where he quotes the Rambam. However, Rabbeinu Tam says that um, the, the custom, sorry, the, the custom is, the, the Rosh records from Samach Kain, that the, the custom is that people don't actually say Leisha Besukkah before they sit down in the Sukkah. They say Leisha Besukkah before they eat. Um, before you eat. So let's say you go into the Sukkah and you're going to be there for an hour and then afterwards you start eating your meal. So the custom is not to say Leisha B'Sukkah like the Rambam says before you sit down in the Sukkah, but only to say Leisha B'Sukkah before you start eating. Um, it doesn't, he said, that's the kind of, not explain why. Um, and I'll just point out that even according to that custom, it wouldn't be that you say Leisha B'Sukkah after the bracha on the food. I'm about to say Hamoitzi on the bed, I'm about to start eating, so before I do that, I would say Leisha B'Sukkah, because now I'm about to eat in the Sukkah. However... The min had then developed even further, and this is usually attributed as the Rosh does here to the, the, the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam, which is the way we paskin, that we only make a bracha on eating in the sukkah, not on teol vishina, not on sleeping in the sukkah, and not on spending time in the sukkah, only on eating in the sukkah. And because the, we only say a bracha on eating in the sukkah, therefore... It became the custom to say the bracha immediately before eating, to the extent that even though you're not allowed to talk um, in between a bracha on food and eating the food, on sukkahs we do. We say hamaytzi and then we interrupt between the hamaytzi and eating the bread. Certainly this is the Ashkenazi custom. We interrupt between hamaytzi and eating the bread with the bracha of leishev basukkah. Right? Because... When you wash, you say the bracha. You say, br- say bracha hamaytzi. You say the bracha 
Then you say And then you take it a bite of bread. That's Ashkenazi custom. Um, so. Well, usually, you, usually, you, oh, you're not talking about like for yanta for kiddush when you say kiddush. No, so if you say kiddush, the custom is to say the the, the the bracha then. But I'm talking about without kiddush, just when you're having a random meal in the middle of chalamoyit. But even with kiddush, it's the same thing. You say leishav basuka, you say beri priyagafen, and then you say leishav basuka before you drink the wine. Um, which again, that's a. I don't want to get involved in in, in kiddush now because that gets into the whole question of drinking, which again is a little bit beyond the scope. Um, but that, that's the minute. So in other words, what Rabbi Tam is saying is that even though, as we have established very clearly from the Gemara, that the mitzvah of sukkah, it biblically, includes eating and sleeping and spending time, the bracha is only said on eating. And we find this, we find that um, in many areas of halacha, that other, w- 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 where a person lives is defined by his eating. And because where you live is defined by where you're eating, the other activities which are also crucial to your living, spending time, relaxing, and sleeping, become, in the halachic parlance, tofel, they become secondary to your eating. I'll just give you two examples where this is, uh, this is relevant. Number one is Hanukkah. You have to light the menorah in your house. What happens if you have one house where you live and one house... Um, where you eat, well, sorry, one house where you sleep, and one house where you eat. Um, arguably, some say this applies to any dormitory, where you have a dining room where you eat, and a bedroom where you sleep, but that's or already up. No, so then you're eating out of house. Right? There's all kinds of uh, options, right? Yeah, okay, so if you never eat at home, nobody's going to say that your house is in, in, in Hamachi. But, um, um, but, but if you have... Uh, two different places, one where you eat and one where you sleep. So then the, your, your home for as to where you like the manure is defined by where you eat. Oh. Right? Another example is Erevin. Um, and we find this in many halachas of Erevin, but I'll just give the most obvious one. Is, um, well, there's a number of them actually. But again, um, a, the whole idea of Erevin is, for example, we have Erev Tchumin, where you make an Erev that allows you to extend how far you could walk on Shabbos. How do you do so? By placing food over there. But even more so is it, when you have an Erev Chatseris, that means when you're making an Erev to be able to carry within a courtyard, and you sleep in one place and eat in another place, how do you determine where you, which courtyard you're part of? It goes by where you eat. So similarly, says Rabbi Natam, um, um, Says Rabbeinu Tam um, that the other activities that must be done in the sukkah, such as sleeping and teal, shin of a teal, are you don't make a bracha on them. The bracha that you say on the when you eat in the sukkah that exempts the bracha of teal of teal as well. Okay, so you're going to sleep in the sukkah. You don't make a bracha. Why? Because you already said leishev basukkah earlier. Now, here we have to um, sort of get into the mechanics of this, and it, it comes out, I'm, I'm going to try and draw parallels to all the aspects of this halacha, but you'll see that it's, it, it really is unique. We don't have an, any exact parallel to, to, to this. Um, so... Let's, let's talk about some other mitzvahs and then sort of carry this into, the, into sukkah. Let's say a person puts on a talis. And then, so you make a bracha. And then you take it off and you want to put on another talis. Or even if you don't take it off, you keep it on, you're cold. You want to wear another talis. The heating in the shul went down. You, ha- you happen to have your weekday and your Shabbos talis. You want to put on another talis. So now you're doing another mitzvah have to make another bracha. If when you put it on, you had in mind I'm putting on two talesim, so you can make a bracha on both of those talesim at once. Um, just like if you're eating an apple and an orange, 
um, you could wake one ha'etz for both of them if that's what you have in mind to eat. But if you have in mind, if you made a ha'etz on an apple, then you finish the apple, or you don't finish the apple, in the middle of eating the apple, you say, hey, there's a nice orange there, I want to eat that orange, you have to make another ha'etz. Even if you didn't do the in between? Yeah, you didn't make it, yeah, exactly. You made a bracha on the apple, that's all I intended to eat. Now I want to eat something else, I have to make another bracha. And the same goes with the mitzvah. Um, let's say I make, I put up a, I make a bracha, a mezuzah, I put up a mezuzah, and then... Um, I get some, some, I realize that actually the mezuzah I put up was a mezuzah that I intended for something else, and the mezuzah that I intended for this store is another mezuzah. So you take it down, you put up another mezuzah, you make another bracha. Same with tefillin, if for whatever reason you take a tefillin, you put on another pair of tefillin. What if you're doing the same mitzvah again? What if you take off your tefillin, for whatever reason, Let's not talk about going to the bathroom, because that's going to the bathroom is a place where you're not allowed to wear your tefillin, so that perhaps has more complications. But let's just say whatever. You take a few, it happens to me often. Yeah, you have to rush up davening because I'm going to carpool. But then I want to come back, so usually I finish the part that I need my tefillin for. But let's say you want to come back from carpool and put your tefillin back on. Or put your, tfil- your talis back on. Or let's say you take down the mezuzah to check it and you want to put it back up. The same mezuzah. Well, your intention was never to, oh. to end the... So if your intention was never to end the act, you were just temporarily taking a pause, so then you don't make another another bracha, provided it hasn't passed a certain amount of time. If a certain amount of time has passed, then we say that even if you had a mind, that doesn't extend it forever, and how much that amount of time is, um, for different mitzvahs, it's different things. For mezuzah, the common practice is um, overnight, um, yeah, it's, uh, or for for tzitzis, I think it's two hours. For tefillin, I think it's one hour. There's times in Shalach it says how much time, how much time passes. If you have in mind to put it back on, um, then if you put it on within the hour, within two hours, whatever it is, um, then it's. And the same is true with sukkah. If I have a meal in the sukkah, right, and then I leave the sukkah, and I'm planning to come back. I'm just going to do some errands, and I'm coming back. And then I come back, and I have another meal in the sukkah. So, again, it's, it's the same mitzvah. It's the same mitzvah. And, but, and I stopped doing the mitzvah temporarily. I had a mind to come back, and I'm coming back. I think the sukkah that the Rebbe says, if I recall correctly, the, it's three hours. Let me check. No, he says one or two hours. But what uh, happens if you have bread in the sukkah? You wait 72 minutes. One second, one second. Right? So then you don't need to make another bracha. Because it's all, it's the same mitzvah. Now, what if it's another sukkah? What if, um, there could be all sorts of scenarios where this is, happens, but let's say I'm eating here in the sukkah in shul, and, let, and important this, to address your question, this has nothing to do with the laws of birchas hananin. Some, the laws of the bracha on food do, are not done by this. Let's say, I ha, if I wash and I start eating over here, and I, I have in mind, I'm not talking about changing my mind, I have in mind that I'm going to start eating my meal here and I'm going to finish it across the alley in Bob's house. So when I come to Bob's house, I'm allowed to go there and I continue eating. I don't make a new bracha. I'm still in the middle of my meal, right? If I'm having bread, right? Um, so what if I start eating my meal in the sukkah here in the back of shul and then I want to go and continue my meal in Bob's sukkah across the alley? So I don't need to make another hamaitzi. I don't need to wash my hands. I don't need to do anything. I'm in the middle of my meal. I'm allowed to move from one place to the other in the middle of my meal, provided that I had in mind to do so when I washed, right? But, what about Leishev Basukha? So the halacha is, that's like you're doing another mitzvah. That's like I'm putting on a different pair of tefillin. I'm putting on a different talis. I'm putting on a different mezuzah. Now it's a different mitzvah. So I have to put on, uh, I have to... I have to say the bracha leisha basuka. So I'm not going to make another hamait. See, I'm going to carry my. I'm eating the same piece of bread. I'm eating the piece of bread in the sukkah. I carry it across the alley. I'm going to sit and eat the rest of the bread, provided I'm eating the right amount. In your sukkah, I'm going to say again, Baruch Atah Hashem the Kenim and the Chayelam Hashem the Shalom Moshev Zvona Leisha Basuka. Okay. So so far we haven't said anything unique to sukkah. The rules to su- of sukkah apply. So far they're all the same as all the other mitzvahs. The chiddush comes when we start figuring out about teal and shino, spending time and sleeping. We have established that the halacha follows the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam, that we don't make a separate bracha on sleeping in the sukkah, or a separate bracha on teal, on spending time in the sukkah, because they are secondary to 
um, to, to, to eating in the sukkah. And the bracha that you made on eating in the sukkah, that bracha covers also um, sleeping in the sukkah or spending time in the sukkah. But, based on everything we've just said, we could figure out that that's only if you're doing it in the same sukkah. If I'm eating in this sukkah, and I'm sleeping in this sukkah, and I'm spending time in this sukkah. What if I'm eating in this sukkah, but I'm sleeping in another sukkah? I'm going to, to spend time to bring in your sukkah. Right? So, now, it's a different mitzvah. The leishibah sukkah that I said on that sukkah doesn't carry over to this sukkah. Right? It's actually, in Chicago, there's a number of houses that you could look around on sukkahs. You'll see they have a separate sukkah upstairs uh, for sleeping, right? So the leishiva sukkah that they said when they ate downstairs breakfast or lunch or supper can't carry over to the sukkah that they sleep in. Even if you have it in mind. Even if you have it in mind. Well, um, even if you have it in mind, yeah, because you're having it... Again, you can't put on. I can't put on a talis now and have in mind that that bracha should cover the, another talis that I'm putting on tonight. In a different, you know, right. it's a different thing. So in that case, the halacha is that you would indeed, um, certainly according to the Alter Rebbe, the Mishnah Bura, I think is undecided, or he says you should avoid it. Yeah, yeah I think the Mishnah Bura says to avoid this, but certainly according to the Alter Rebbe, you could make a bracha leishav sukkah just in spending time. So if I come to your sukkah on Chalamayad in the afternoon, just, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm on a diet. I'm on a gluten-free diet. I don't want to have any cookies to say Lech but I'm just going to sit there and schmooze with you now for an hour. Or I'm going to join you sukkah to Sheva. You could say, I'm not eating anything. I'm not even sleeping. I'm just spending time in the sukkah. I could say Lech I'm not planning to eat anything in that sukkah. What if you just, your own sukkah, you're going in and out all day long. And oh, all day. what about your own sukkah? Four times, five times, six times. Excellent. So before we said... You know you're going to be doing that all day. Right. Very good. So, you say so once in the morning. What, oh, so 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 before I said that if you leave and you have a mind to come back, as long as you weren't, if you leave for more than two hours, I said oh, you do have to make another bracha. But and here's something where it's difficult to find the parallel. Although I will I will say what the parallel is. Um, if you're coming back, let's say you you had breakfast in the morning and then you went on a holiday trip. You were gone for five hours, so you come back. And you want to have supper, and again, assuming your meals include the types of food, bread or mazoinus that you have to make a leishev on, right? Um, you come back, you have to make another bracha. It doesn't help that I had in mind when I left this morning. It's, it's been five hours. That's only if I'm eating. But if I'm coming to be metayil basukah, I'm coming, I'm not eating anymore. I'm having a gluten-free supper. But I'm going to be now the rest of the evening, and I have my chavrusa, my business meeting, and whatever it is, everything I'm going to do from the sukkah. Now, we say, you don't need to make another leishev basukah. Um, your, your, the Leisha Basukah that you said in breakfast, that covers now. Even though you've been gone for five hours, it doesn't matter. So it's... Uh, because you're not eating something? Just because you're not eating? Yes. Right. So this is very strange. Right? Again, you, let, you, you ate breakfast in the morning, you left the Sukkah for five hours. If you were going to eat again, I would say you have to have a new Leisha Basukah. But because you're not eating, you're just going to sleep. Let's say you're going to sleep for the night, yeah, in the Sukkah. The leish of a sukkah that you said on breakfast covers it. How does that work? Why? Right? Doesn't seem to, to fit with the rules that we know. Right. You're coming to dwell back in the sukkah. What? You're coming to dwell back in the Right. And if I was going to, I was going to sleep in your sukkah now, I would say leish of a sukkah because I've never said the leish. I haven't eaten anything in your sukkah today. But because I'm going to sleep in my sukkah that I said leish of a sukkah on this morning, now I don't, I don't make a bracha. So... The Rishonim explain the the Rosh, I mean, the, 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 the parallel for this is Birchas Atoira. With Birchas Atoira, so one of the mitzvahs, one of the six hundred thirty mitzvahs, is to study Torah. And before we study Torah, like, just like before we do any mitzvah, we have to say a bracha. Baruch Atah Hashem and the Kehinu Melech Elam, Asher Kedushanah B'Mitzvah Yisav V'Tzivanu Al Divrei Torah or Lasik B'Divrei Torah depends on your custom, right? That's the bracha that we say and. Happens to be that we also add another two brachas, the Harav Noah and Asher Bracha Banu. And then between, before, between when you make a bracha and you do the mitzvah, you're not allowed to interrupt, right? You can't say, Lanech, fillin, and then go for a walk and then put on fillin. You can't, just like you can't say, Berapriya eats before you bite it and then go and do something else before you bite into your apple. You make the bracha before you start eating or start doing the mitzvah, you have to do the mitzvah right away. So what do we do as soon as we finish saying the bracha on studying Torah? 
We study Torah. We say that's a passage from Torah. We say that's a passage from Mishnah. Why do we say that then? We shouldn't interrupt in between because you say a bracha on studying Torah. You have to study Torah right away, right? Okay. So then you daven chakras, and then you're going to go to your breakfast halacha class. So it's been an hour in between, and let's say it's not an hour. Let's say it's five hours after chakras. You run to work, and you come back at night at nine o'clock at night to say your dafyomi share to go to your dafyomi class. So you have to say a bracha again. You haven't been learning for five hours, ten hours. You have to say a bracha again. So Berachas HaTorah doesn't work that, that way. Berachas HaTorah is an exception. And again, there's different opinions about it, but the way we do it, La Halacha La is that we say Berachas HaTorah once in the morning, and that's it. It covers all this Torah study. When you're called up to the Torah, you have to say No, that, yeah, that's, that, that's a different chashman, yeah? But the, 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 the Torah, the bracha that we say on the mitzvah of studying Torah, we say once every morning, and that covers all the Torah study that you're going to do throughout the day. Why? So the Rishonim explained that the reason is that there's a fundamental difference between, let's say, tefillin, tzitzis, lulav, sukkah, and study, Torah study. And that is, with any other mitzvah, once you've done it, you've done it. Right? So let's say I put on, make a bracha on tefillin. I take off the tefillin, I finish doing the mitzvah. If I choose that I want to, for whatever reason, wear tefillin again for mincha, I'm now doing a new mitzvah. So a new mitzvah requires a new bracha. But with Torah study, it's all one mitzvah. You are, a, a Jew is constantly incumbent to study Torah. At any, any moment that you're not studying Torah, you have to have a good reason not to be studying Torah. There is a mitzvah, there is a constant mitzvah upon a, a Jew to study Torah all the time. So when I stop studying Torah, because I'm going to have breakfast, because I'm going to do my errands, because I'm going to work, because whatever other activity I'm engaging in, I haven't really completed the mitzvah. I, I, I've just paused from the mitzvah for a momentarily. So the Torah study, so because you haven't, because you haven't completed the mitzvah, because you're still in the middle of the mitzvah, so when I come back at, in 10 hours later to go into my Def Yomi class, I, um, I, I'm still in the middle of the same mitzvah that I made the bracha on, and that's why you don't make a bracha. Say the Rishonim, say the Rosh, that similar is true, it's not the same, but similar is true of sukkah. That when I'm eating in the sukkah this morning, I have a constant mitzvah. It's not constant all year round, but for the seven days of sukkahs, there's a constant mitzvah to dwell in the sukkah day and night. For those seven days, you move houses. You're moving out of your home and you're moving into the sukkah. So if I, um, if I d- dwelled in the sukkah, I ate breakfast in the sukkah this morning, now I leave the sukkah. So if... so. It's a little bit different, and this is why I'm saying there isn't really any exact parallel. Because here you're saying like this, I, I had breakfast in the sukkah, and then I was gone the whole day, and then I come back at night. So if I'm going to have supper, I say, okay, the, the, because Rabbi Tam says eating is the sort of umbrella thing, that's sort of the main activity which warrants its own bracha for, for the sukkah. So if I'm going to have another meal, I'm going to say that I'm going to make a new bracha. But if I'm going to... But, but, but that's with regards to eating. But with regards to sleeping or spending time, I'm going to say no. At the end of the day, I, the mitzvah was constant. I never really completed that mitzvah. The whole entire seven days of sukkahs, it's incumbent upon me to dwell in the sukkah. And therefore, even though, even though, even though I left the sukkah for ten hours, that ten hours wasn't a complete um, exit from the sukkah. I was still attached to the sukkah in that it was still incumbent upon me to be on the sukkah as soon as I can. And therefore when I come back to, 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 to sleep in the sukkah, to sleep in the sukkah, I don't make another bracha. I am going to eat another meal in the sukkah, so that's sort of important enough to say, okay, you know, now it's a new start. Um, but if I'm going to just sleep in the sukkah or spend time in the sukkah, then it's not a new start, and the bracha that I made this morning still covers it. Let's go back, let's go back to the Chumash. Dwelling in the dwelling, building and dwelling in the sukkah was a twenty-four-seven uh, uh, undertaking, right? Leave your home, leave your home, dwell in the sukkah. So they were the, the expectation is that one will spend twenty-four-seven or as much as you can in the sukkah, except to go to the bathroom or. You know, right. Well, it's not right. right, but it's not just like like it says in Shulchan Aruch. Right? So just like during the year, you leave your house to do other things, to go and daven, to go and learn, to go shopping, to things. You're allowed to leave your sukkah to do those things. 
No, I'm saying so. The, so the, if you say if you're saying the bracha to enter this at the beginning of Sukkot, when you finally you, you build it, you know, yeah, and then you and then you you start to dwell on it. Yeah. So that that that's a twenty-four-seven times you know seven-day intention. You're on the ball today, Michael. First you said the Rosh, the Rambam, then you said the Rosh, and now you're saying the Gemara. Um, in the Gemara, there's two opinions. The Gemara in Sukkot Membav Medalev, 46.8. There's two opinions. One opinion is that you say Lashem Sukkot at the beginning of Sukkot and that's it for the whole week. And the other opinion is, no, every time when you leave, if you leave the sukkah for enough time to distract yourself from it, like we said, one or two hours, then you have to make again. So your, your, your comment is, is certainly logically sound. There's a whole discussion in the Gemara why in practice we, we follow the other opinion. But, 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 but the point, absolutely point well taken. Now, in case you're not confused enough yet, there is even a stranger concept when it comes to sukkah, because until now I've been talking about well, you had breakfast in the sukkah, then you left for the whole day, and now you're coming back at night to um, sleep in the sukkah. What if it was the other way around? What if I'm coming in the morning and I'm going to have a business meeting and I'm going to be sitting down in the sukkah for two hours, and then I'm going to leave for the whole day, and then I'm going to come back at night and I have supper in the sukkah? So, what, do, I, do I make a leisha by sukkah on my on my on my teal, my spending time in the sukkah in the morning? So the Allah is no. The Leishev Basukah that I'm going to say tonight covers the teal of now. Right? That's, we don't have a parallel for that by, by, by Torah study. By Torah study, you make the bracha in the morning, and then that covers the Torah study for the whole day, even though you stopped learning Torah in the middle. Here we're saying... Retroactive. So, here we're saying that retroactively it covers. And it's not, it's not really the point of retroactive. It's more the point of Iker V'tafel. Just like... Um, just like, for example, if you have a cracker with tuna on it, what bracha do you say? You say, Mizonus on the cracker. What about the tuna? The tuna is tuffil to the, to the cracker. But, yeah, it's, I don't know how to translate that Secondary. well. Secondary. Secondary to the cracker, right? So, sub, what? Sub, sub, subservient or something. Sublim, sublim, sub, sub, not subliminal, sub, sub something. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there. So, so, conceptually, what we're saying is the same thing, that the teal, the sleeping or the spending time in the sukkah, is secondary to the eating. Now, in, in brachas of food, we don't have a parallel where I'll have a tuna piece of tuna now and a cracker in 10 minutes, and the tuna would be tough to the cracker. It doesn't work like that with food. So you, you, you have to eat them together in order for it to have that status. But conceptually, we could carry over the same thing to the mitzvah, and what we're saying is that the that, that, that if you're only having teal, I'm going to your sukkah only to spend time or only to sleep, so that's like I'm eating tuna plain. I make a separate bracha on the tuna, right? But if I'm having tuna and a cracker, or if I'm sleeping and eating in the same sukkah, then even if I'm only going to eat later, that bracha retroactively, it's not really retroactively, but in, in, fa- in fact it's retroactive, but conceptually it's, it's about the ikar and the tofel, um, covers the uh, covers the, the, what 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 I spent that morning in the sukkah as well. Stick to, you wouldn't stick to eat the tuna, no, knowing you're going to say the mizonos afterwards and not say the bracha on the tuna. Right, because that's what I'm saying. With food, in order for foods to be an ikar and a tofel, you need to eat them together. If you eat them separately, then it's not an ikar and a tofel. Now I'm eating tuna, and then later I'm eating a cracker. But I'm just saying yeah. the concept is the same, that you have two activities which are ikar and a tofel. Again, in food, they have to go in the same bite in order for that to be the case. But conceptually, that doesn't have to be the case when you're talking about sleeping and eating in the sukkah. Right? Now, interestingly enough, now that's only if it's on the same day, the pastures. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, um, in other words, if, if I'm having supper tonight in my sukkah, and this morning I'm going there to spend time, I don't say Elisha sukkah on the spending time, because I'm going to have supper there tonight. But if I'm, if I'm going to have supper there tomorrow night, or last night, but f- today, from this morning till tonight, and this day, I'm, I'm only having, uh, I'm not planning to eat anything, I'm going gluten-free for today. So then I would say Elisha sukkah even just on sleeping or just on spending time. And again, the Mishabura says to try and avoid that, and you should eat something, but according to Alter Rebbe, you don't need to do that. If, if, if in this, and it's interesting, and, and, and it's, I mean, it's, it really is based on the Taz, but it, the Taz also is difficult to understand. What, what's up, like, why from the morning to night? Yeah, Birch is from morning to night. Um, 
But why should it still be from morning to night? Why should I say that if I'm eating, if I'm spending time this morning, I'm eating tonight, um, then I don't say Leishu Basuka on spending time. But if I spending, if I ate last night or I'm eating tomorrow morning, then I do. Um, but Lamai said that's the halacha, and I'll just illustrate this by taking it a step forward, uh, one step forward, and that is what what happens if I'm not again. If I'm spending time in the sukkah, going to sleep in the sukkah, it's covered by the bracha I made on sleeping. What if I'm not? Let's say I'm going to your sukkah, and I'm spending time with you. So then, I have to say, Leisha Basukah, I'm spending time with you. What happens if I come to your sukkah for a meeting in the morning, I'm spending two hours schmoozing, and then I go out on my Chalmoya trip, and I come back tonight to your, to your sukkah, um, again, to continue our, our, our schmooze. So do I say, Leisha Basukah, on your, uh, 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 again at night, for schmoozing with you? So the answer is yes. Because if I had made the bracha this morning on eating in the sukkah, so conceptually spending time is secondary to eating. So even if there's an elapse of time, as long as it's within the same day, it's covered. But spending time is not tough to spending time. So if, if I'm not eating in your sukkah at all, I mean, I'm only going to spend time with you once in the morning and once in the evening, so then that's comparable to if I was coming to eat a meal with you in the morning and another meal at night, which I would say it's own bracha. So if I'm going to spend time with you in the sukkah this morning and spend time with you again this evening, and I'm not going to eat anything because I'm gluten-free today, right? I would say two separate relationships of sukkahs just on spending time in the sukkah. So I hope you've gotten you dizzy, but not too dizzy. Um, and uh, um, uh, that that bring that finishes the. You're gonna have to say this again next sukkah. I'll just post Arab the recording sukkah. again on Arab sukkahs. <laughs> the best thing to do is just to never leave the sukkah. Just go and stay there for seven days, and you'll never. Um, sorry. One bracha. One bracha. Yeah, they say the Bichur Masmid used to say one bracha the whole sukkahs. Never left the sukkah. Um, uh, I'll just, if you'll indulge me a few more minutes, um, uh, uh, sort of an open topic that we didn't finish, which I still don't have what to finish, but I'll tell you where I'm up to with this, is that the Gemara says, we saw that one of the requirements in the Al-Tarebbe is to drink in the sukkah, yeah? You drink in the sukkah. When is it obligatory to drink in the sukkah? Under what circumstances would that be the case? So the Al-Tarebbe spoke about being about if you're drinking wine in a way that's a, that you're not just sipping a cup of wine, but that somehow this is your, you're being kveh, you're making a kveh, so out of drinking the wine, so then you would be obligated to, to drink it in the sukkah. But even then, the Al-Tarebbe says that, um, okay, first of all, it's like teal, so you wouldn't make a bracha, it would be exempt with the, with the bracha that you make on the food. But even if you're going to drink wine in someone else's sukkah, so you should have to say leisha basukah. Nevertheless, the al says, don't make leisha basukah, because some say um, it's, not so, uh, it's not really called a kvias. So the question, which I don't have a very good answer to, is there is obviously a scenario where it's absolutely obligatory to drink in the sukkah, because the Gemara says you have to eat and drink in the sukkah. So what is that scenario? Now, other authorities... Um, uh, the Shalmeshiv, the Mishtabur brings this, suggest that when you're, eat, when you're drinking in the middle of the meal, then that drinking, even if you're just drinking a cup of water, it's part of your meal, and now you must drink that cup of water in the sukkah. So even though water you may drink outside the sukkah, but that's only if you're just having a cup of water. If you're having water as part of your meal, so then the water assumes the status of Achilles Keva of your meal, and even that cup of water, and it's very relevant, you go into your house to get something, no sipping water along the way. Right? That's what the Mishabura says. But it seems like the al Rebbe does not agree with that. And it seems that the al Rebbe would hold that water and other foods that, like fruit or whatever, you can always eat outside the sukkah, even if you're in the middle of the meal. And so if that's correct, I'm a little bit stuck with how the al Rebbe and other authorities, also the Bach, I think, and others, how do they understand the Gemara? In which case is the Gemara referring to that it is obligatory to drink in the sukkah? I do not have a, a satisfactory answer to that question, and that will bring us to a close on the series of the laws of sukkah.